Thank you for tuning in to Valley Rise Church. We're so glad you decided to join us today. For more information on sermon series and service times, you can visit us online at valleyrisechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, Valley Rise Church. Hope you're having an amazing Sunday. Welcome to church. Hey, if you're here with us for the first time, my name is Pastor Christian, and I'm the pastor here at Valley Rise Church. I want to thank you so much for being here with us this morning. I'm so sorry that I'm not there to shake your hand or hug you personally, but I'll be here next week. Me and my wife, Alex, are actually in Phoenix right now doing a marriage conference, and I'm preaching at a buddy's church there this morning. But you guys are in for a treat. Hey, Valentine's week. Guys, I hope you're ready. I hope you got the hotel reservation. I hope you got flowers, dinner reservations ready. Whatever you do for Valentine's Day, I hope you're prepared. And guys, if you're not prepared, I'll just give you a tip. Rebecca in the back does amazing floral arrangements and she'll deliver it to your house. Takes away all the work. So if you're looking for somebody, use her. You don't want to be left without flowers on Valentine's Day. And you want to make sure that you're thinking about the most important person in your life, the person that God gave you to walk this journey with. Hey, this morning you are in for an amazing, amazing treat. I met Josh Turner probably eight years ago. He came down to South Louisiana to hunt with me. And after spending a couple mornings in a blind together, I immediately realized this was somebody God called me to do life with forever. Josh has been like a big brother to me. He's been a pastor to Valley Rise Church at times. He's directed us, given me wisdom and counsel. He's normally my first call when something goes crazy at Valley Rise Church. He's one of our overseers, which means he helps keep me in line. He helps make sure the church is going in the right direction, in the right way, doing things correctly the way they're supposed to be done. I'm so excited that he's able to be with us this morning. Josh is an amazing preacher. He's spoken all over the world and he's done some amazing stuff. I'm so glad to call him my friend, my big brother, one of my pastors. I know that you're gonna laugh this morning, you're gonna cry this morning, and you're gonna experience the presence of God this morning. Hey, I love you. I hope that you have an amazing morning. Would you go ahead and stand up and give a Valley Rise welcome to one of my best friends in the world, Pastor Josh Turner. How are we doing, we good? Hey, you guys can, uh, I love that Christian said uh, that part of my job is to keep him in line. How many of you know, if you know Pastor Christian, that is a full-time job. That is one of those things. Christian, Christian's that guy for me, and we've been friends for a really, really long time, and I love him. And it is an honor for me to be able to speak into his life and help oversee you guys. I was a pastor, local church pastor, for 15 years. And uh, my wife, it's funny because she goes, I was flying out. She goes, is Christian going to be there? I go, I go, no. I go, he and Alex are out of town doing a marriage-like uh, conference and everything. She goes, good, because sometimes y'all just get in trouble together. And I was like, I don't know if that's like the thing that you want to know as you're uh, going out of town. But, man, it's an honor to be here. Uh, I love being able to travel and speak and be with you guys and actually bring you greetings. Uh, can you turn me down a little bit? Because I'm going to get loud. I mean, at some point, weeping and gnashing of teeth in here. Uh, I bring you, I have a picture of my family uh, that I actually want to show you. Uh, I don't know if you can see it that well, but that is my family. We just moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, that is my son, Aiden. He is 17 years old. Uh, that is my wife, Becca. We have been married 16 years. So if you can do math, I wasn't always serving Jesus. Okay, so that just so just so we level the playing field a little bit, you know what you're getting yourself into this morning. Uh, so and then that is our daughter, Riley. Uh, Riley is lower in that picture than the rest of us because Riley is severely special needs. Uh, 
She is in a wheelchair. She has a tracheostomy, a feeding tube. Uh, she sleeps on a ventilator at night. We have nurses that actually get to our house uh, at 10 p.m. every night, and they leave at 6 a.m. And she just got, for the first time ever in her life, diagnosed, um, and she is the 12th known case in the world. Uh, with a rare genetic disorder, which caused us, I pastored two churches in Orlando, uh, downtown, which caused us to lose all of our Medicaid in the state of Florida and have to move to Georgia. And when we lost our Medicaid in the state of Florida, uh, we lost it in 10 days. And so how many of you know, like when they're like, hey, it cuts off and you got to move in 10 days. My son, who's going into his junior year of high school, how many of you know that that's, that's not what you want to tell your 17-year-old son? And so this is kind of what I want to talk to you about today when Christian called me. And, and I just want you to know this, like, you, you are a part, I was talking to some gentlemen outside, and one of the things they said about Christian, and, and I hope you know how rare this is for your pastor, they said Christian is always authentic. And the one thing that I will say about Christian Aranza that I tell everybody, you see what you get with him. He is, and, and this is, and as someone who's been in ministry for 15 years, it is one of the most refreshing things and one of the reasons that I continue to be in his life is because Christian is who he is all the time. And I feel like when there are men in this world that are who they are all the time before the Lord, like I can promise you that Christian on stage is the same as Christian off stage. And I've been with him in those settings. And so I just hope you know how unique that is and what an honor it is for you guys to have a pastor that fights for his authenticity before the Lord and before you guys as well. Amen. And so, yeah, you can clap for him. And, um, and so, he, so when Christian called me and asked me to speak, he told me you guys were in this series called L-O-V-E. It's not love, it's L-O-V-E. And O is for only the eyes for you, or only I have eyes for you. So here's what I kind of want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about only having eyes for God in the moments where it matters most. And those are the moments where you have a crisis of faith. And when I say crisis of faith, for so many of us, right, like there's all these different ideas of what a crisis of faith is. So let me ask you this question, and this is what I want to talk about with you today, and hopefully I'm going to be able to help you have eyes only for God when God doesn't do what you think he should. So that's my question to you. What do you do when God doesn't do what you think he should? Because for us, I mean, like when our daughter, you know, we, we had done over a million dollars worth of testing on her. And then they comes back that she has this diagnosis. She's the 12th known case in the world. There's not even a name for it. It's just numbers, dashes, and letters. I mean, that was a part where God didn't do what I thought God should do. You know what I mean? I mean, it was kind of one of those moments where I was like, God, but I'm a pastor. Like, I'm your guy. Like, shouldn't you, like, supernatural healing, shouldn't you put this bubble around me? And I think all of us in here, there's a part in our life that if you have not experienced this yet, you will experience this. And I hate saying this as a pastor, that there are going to be times in your life where God does not do what you think he should. And if it hasn't happened, and it's coming. And there are going to be those moments. And so when those moments happen, what do you do? What do you do when you go to the doctor and the cancer's back? What do you do when that person that you've spent your entire life with, they say they don't want to be in this anymore? What do you do when that loved one dies or that child has that sickness? What do you do in those moments? Because I think all of us in here, if we're honest with ourselves, and probably some of you sitting in here right now, you're wrestling and you're sitting in the middle of something and God's not doing what you think he should do and you have no idea what to do with it. And you're kind of sitting there going, well, God, now what? Because I think all of us, too, we feel like if God would consult us more on his plans for our life, our life would look more the way we want it to, right? Like, God, if you would just ask me what I think you should do, then life would be awesome. 
But so many times we find ourselves in these moments where we're going, God, seriously? Like, God, I, 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 I pray, I worship. I mean, for us as a family, God, I, I move my family from one city to another because you called me here to start churches. We've started two successful churches, and now, God, I've got to leave. God, I'm serving you. God, I'm at church. God, I'm, I'm praying. I'm believing. God, why aren't you doing X, Y, and Z? And I've seen it crush people. And I've seen it also push people deeper into God and deeper into Jesus. And what we see is we see this all throughout Scripture. And I think so many times when we read Scripture, here's what we end up doing, right? When we read Scripture, we forget the humanity in it, and we forget what that person's really feeling because we know how the story ends, right? Like when you read that the earth's getting ready to get flooded, you're going to be like, you're reading it and you're like, oh, it's cool, Noah's going to be okay. Like when you read the story of Joseph in prison, you're thinking to yourself, oh, it's cool, Joseph's going to get out of prison. When, when you read the story of the disciples fearing in the boat, it's cool because Jesus is going to show up. We read the story, but one of the things that's so hard for us is we already have the end in mind. And I think what's scary for us is when we find ourselves in those crises of faith, we don't know how it's going to end. We don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know what it's going to look like. And like I said, you see it all throughout Scripture. Let me illustrate this for you. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Genesis 39, 10 through 20. Genesis 39, 10 through 20. We kind of talked about Joseph. So if you don't know, Joseph was a son of Jacob. Jacob had a bunch of other sons, but he loved Joseph the most. One day, Joseph has a dream that his other brothers are bowing down and worshiping him. Just a side note, if you ever have a dream of your siblings bowing down and worshiping you, keep it to yourself. Don't tell anybody else about that. Joseph's brothers couldn't stand him. They hated him. They knew that his father loved him more. They knew that he had dreams of them worshiping him. They hated Joseph. One day, Joseph's brothers are out tending the fields, tending the flocks. Jacob goes up to Joseph, says, Joseph, I want you to go check on your brothers. So Joseph goes to check on his brothers. As his brothers see him coming, the brothers say, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. So his brothers conspire to kill him. Now, I remind you that Joseph in this moment is just being obedient to his father. He's doing the very thing that his father asked him to do. And as he's doing the thing that his father asked him to do, his brothers are conspiring to kill him. One of the brothers says, no, let's not kill him. That would be wrong. Let's just throw him in a pit and leave him there to die. Well, as they throw him in the pit, leave him there to die, a band of Ishmaelite gypsies comes by. One of the other brothers says, well, we shouldn't get anything for Joseph. We shouldn't just not get anything for him. Let's sell him into slavery. So Joseph, doing what his brothers have told him to do, is conspired to be killed, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. Now, when Joseph is sold into slavery, he's bought by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was a ruler. Potiphar was a man that like oversaw a ton of things in Egypt. The problem was is that Potiphar's wife also took notice of Joseph. The Bible tells us that, Potiphar, that Joseph was well-built. He was very handsome. So if you need a visual representation, feel free to use me. I am here to make the Bible come alive to you. Um, and so the Bible tells us that Joseph was handsome and Potiphar's wife takes note. Now, this is where we pick it up because I want you to understand something in this moment. Listen, verse 10. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. 
When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. This Hebrew slave that you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were, and there he remained. That, to me, is a massive crisis of faith. That, to me, is God not doing what you think God should do. Joseph was doing all the right things in that moment. Joseph was doing all the God-honoring things in that moment. And Joseph is the one that ends up in prison. Now, we read that sometimes and we think, oh, it's cool. Joseph's going to be number two in charge of Egypt. But I guarantee you that when Joseph's sitting in that prison, he's like, God, are you serious? I wonder if Joseph, like, and it sometimes bothers people when I say this, but I wonder if Joseph was like, should have just slept with her. I mean, if I was going to end up in prison anyway. So what do you do in that moment? What do you do when you've done the things that honor God and you're the one that's in prison? Because what I know just about life is that there's probably a lot of you sitting in here that you're in prison right now, if you know what I'm saying. That God's not doing what you think he should. And I'm living that life. I've lived it for 12 years with a special needs child. I've lived it walking through other things in life where God's not showing up in the way that I think he should. And like I said, guys, I've seen it crush people. And I've seen people that have walked away from the faith and walked away from Jesus. And I've seen people push, it, push them closer into Jesus in a relationship with him. So here's what I want to do today very simply. I want to give you three things. Three things to do that will help you when God doesn't do what you think you should. And here's what I, I want you to take notes. Because if you take notes in church, you get to pick where you live in heaven. Um, that's not true. Um, some of you are like, oh, dang, like, get my pen, get my pen, girl. Um, and so it's the book of second hesitations. And, um, and so I want you to take notes. And, and here's why I want you to take notes. I don't know about you, but when, when life kind of falls apart at time or when God doesn't do what I think he should do at times, it's sometimes hard to remember what someone said that I, want, I need to recall in that moment. And I hope you understand this, that no matter who stands on this stage, whether it's myself, Pastor Christian, whatever preacher, Pastor Jacob, Christian's dad, whoever is on this stage preaching, at the end of the day, we are all just broken men and women being used by a holy God. That is it. So when I'm even standing up here speaking to you, this is just Josh and the Holy Spirit is speaking through me. That's it. So what's going to happen when you sit in church and something hits you and you're like, oh, dang, that's good. I need to remember that. Don't attribute that to the man that's on the stage. Attribute that to the Holy Spirit who's trying to speak something directly into your heart. Amen? And so like, you, I want you to like take notes on that stuff. Because there are going to be times in life where you're going to need to recall things. And you're going to need to be able. I'm, I've been a preacher for 15 years. I, t I listen to sermons every day I go to the gym. I know, you can tell. Like, I'm just trying not to fat out of jeans. Do you know what I'm saying? That's where I'm at in life. I'm like, these jeans are way tighter than they used to be. And so I, go to the, I listen to sermons every day at the gym. I still take notes on them. I still write them down. Because I know that there is something that the Lord is going to speak to me. And so I just want to encourage you to take notes and write this stuff down. And I'm going to give you three things. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This is what I'm doing. This isn't just like a good three-point sermon. This is like what I have learned in my life helps me 
and what I have to continually do when God doesn't do what I think he should. So if you're taking notes, the first one is this. You need to remember what God has done. When God doesn't do what you think God should do, you need to remember what he has done. Now, one of the things that I think is hard when it comes to remembering what God has done is we have two, two forms of what I call Christian amnesia. The first type of Christian amnesia is when we get saved and then we start judging other people for their sins, forgetting that God saved us from our sins in the first place. It's amazing. Have you ever met like super judgmental Christians? And you're like, God, you're the worst. Like, and now I'm judging them, but it's okay because my spirit is pure. I'm just playing. And so like, it's one of those things like it blows my mind when people look down upon other people and judge them because they just haven't received the free gift yet that God gave them. How do I have the ability to judge another person when I didn't do anything to earn my salvation in the first place? It just is mind-blowing. The second time that I think we have Christian amnesia is when we experience trials, when we go through hardships, when we go through struggles, when God doesn't do what we think he should because all of a sudden what we've done is we're, we just totally forget all the times that God has already come through in the past. So let me read this to you. I want to read you Psalm 77. Now, I'm going to read you all of Psalm 77. Now, the reason I want to read it to you is because if you read much of the Psalms, what you'll realize is, is usually they're very beautiful. Usually they're very like, the Lord, I panteth for you like a deer panteth for the water. Lord, you cause me to lay down in green pastures. And they're just these beautiful, and you're like, I wish I felt that way about Jesus at times. But I want you to listen to Psalm 77. And the reason I want you to listen to it is because it's brutal. And this is the psalmist, the same psalmist that's writing all these beautiful things about the Lord is also saying this, listen. I cry out to God, yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I am too distressed even to pray. Have you ever been there? Have you ever gone to pray and you don't know what to say to the Lord because it's everything you've been saying for the past six months, year, two, and you just go into prayer and you're like, uh, Lord, uh, ditto on everything that I've already been saying. Like, can I just re-up that one, Jesus? Like, how do we do this? There's a, there's a band that I love um, called the Avett Brothers, and their, their grandfather was a preacher. And so they took a bunch of his sermons and they turned them into songs, and they're not a Christian band. Um, they're secular. And I'm um, sorry, I don't know why I did that. Um, I apologize for that. Um, but one of the things that I love is they have this line in one of their songs. And sometimes this bothers people, but listen to what I'm saying. They say, sometimes I use cuss words when I pray. Guys, God sees through more than just stained glass. Does that make sense? And I think so many times we feel like we have to go into, into prayer with God and be like, Heavenly Father, dost thou knoweth of what vexeth me at this hour? And God's like, now I got it. Now I hear you. Listen, if you're thinking of a cuss word when you pray, it's not like God doesn't know it anyway. It's not like you say it and he's like, well, I never. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, go, and you can go through and read the book of Job. The book of Job, Job says some pretty harsh things about the Lord. But here's the thing that's amazing about the book of Job. At the end of the book of Job, God doesn't rebuke Job. God rebukes Job's friends that say all the right Christian things. And what that has always shown me is God can handle your anger. God can handle your frustration. God can handle those moments when you don't know what to pray and you go into a room and you cry and you scream and maybe say some words that you should not say. God isn't scared by that. And I want you to understand that there's so many times that people feel like that you can take every raw emotion you have before your father that loves you and for your father that cares about you. 
It goes on in verse 5. Listen to this. I think of the good old days, long since ended, when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? Listen to verse 10. And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. So at this moment, the psalmist is saying, this is where I'm at. God has totally turned against me. He's like, I go in to pray. I don't, I don't even have the words to pray. I can't even sleep at night. And let's be honest, we've had those moments, right? Where you lie awake at night and you don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what's going on and you're trying to pray and you don't know what to pray. But listen to the, verse 11. In verse 11, everything changes. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations by your strong arm. You redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. I love this part right here. When the Red Sea saw you, oh God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The cloud poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. The thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. The psalmist in this moment for the entire first half of this chapter is like, God has totally forgotten me. God's not with me. God doesn't hear my prayers. I'm too distressed to pray. But then I remember everything you've done, God. What would it look like in your life if that when God didn't do what you think he should do, you started looking not at your current circumstance, but you started looking at God's track record with you. You started looking at how far he's brought you and the things that he's already done for you in your life. So I recently went through this, and, and this is kind of how I came to it. I was, we lived in Orlando, and so sometimes I would go do work. I would go to Disney and work. There was a Starbucks there. I'd sit outside, and there is no better people watching on earth than at Disney World. If you go at 4 p.m., you're going to see Meltdown City from children, and then parents have spent all this money on their kids, and they're like, you're going to get on this ride, and they're like, I'm just tired. The parents are like kicking them on. It's awesome. <laughs> Between Disney and the Houston Livestock Rodeo, that is, the best that is the best people watching I've ever seen in my life. I went to that last year and just realized there's a whole subculture I know nothing about. And... Um, and I totally dressed like a cowboy, and it was awesome. Um, and so I was at Disney working, and I, and I was reading Mark chapter 4. Now, in Mark chapter 4, what you see is the disciples and Jesus are crossing the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is surrounded by a mountainous range. And so what will often happen on the Sea of Galilee is the cold air from the mountains will rush down and meet with the warm air over the Sea of Galilee, and storms will kick up absolutely out of nowhere. So the disciples and Jesus are crossing the Sea of Galilee. This huge storm comes up out of nowhere. They start freaking out. They're like, we're goners. This is how we die. We're, it, we might as well abandon shit. They're just freaking out. This is what's going on. Jesus wakes up in this moment, and the Bible says that he walks up to the boat, and he says to the storm, and says, peace be still. Now, when you read that, the way that it's written in the Greek, it says when Jesus actually says that, the entire environment and the entire situation changes. It doesn't stay cloud. It, everything changes in that moment. 
And I always want us to remember, Jesus has the ability to change a situation with just a word that he speaks. I don't know why he doesn't all the time, and that's between him and the Lord, and it's not for us to understand that stuff. But Jesus stands up and he says, peace be still. Everything changes. Then he looks at his disciples, and he says, how do you still not have faith? In one version, he says, in one, the Passion Translation of the Bible, he says, have you not learned to trust me? So I start thinking, Jesus isn't saying this to them in this moment because they just saw him calm the storm. Jesus is actually saying this to his disciples because of all the miracles that they've seen him do in Mark chapters 1 through 3. So I, start, so I go back through Mark chapters 1 through 3, and I just start outlining all the miracles that they saw Jesus do before the storm. And so Jesus, what he's really asking them is, guys, after everything that you've seen me do, after all the miracles that you've experienced, how are you afraid of a little wind and waves? I was like, man, Jesus, I don't understand how they didn't trust you. And God said to me, I was asking you the same thing. And I was like, Lord, this isn't about me. This, you, you leave me. You know what I mean? When God like convicts you and you're like, I don't like that. Um, and so, so I, I started, God convicted me. So at night I went home and I, I cooked dinner for my family and I sat them down. And I said, hey guys, this is what God showed me in Mark chapters 1 through 3 and the miracle in chapter 4. I said, and I think what God's asking us as a family, as we get ready to move to Atlanta and all this crazy stuff's going on and you're the 12th known case in the world, like I think God's looking at us saying, how do you still not trust me? I said, so here's what I want us to do. I want us to make a list of all the miracles and all the blessings that God's given us in our life. And we just sat at dinner and we just started making a list. And I'll just say this to the parents. It's amazing to see what your children think are miracles. My daughter's like, our puppy. I'm like, that's Satan's curse. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not like, that is not the hand of the Lord if I know one thing. But we just made this huge list. And I looked at him and I said, I know this is scary. I know that we don't want to leave. I know we want to be here. But look how God, faithful God's been to us in the past. And if he's been faithful, listen, God's character does not change based off of your circumstance. God is, thank you, that is very good. Thank you. Um, she's getting to pick where she lives. Um, that's the bring back joke. So it, it's just one of those things like God's character doesn't change. If he's been faithful to you in the past, he's going to be faithful to you in the present and in the future. Now, his faithfulness may not look like you think it should, but it doesn't mean that it's still not faithful. And so we made this huge list. So let me ask you this question. What would it look like for you today to go home? Go to lunch, whatever you do, and to make a list and to carry that list with you. I still have that list of everything, and I add to it because what I know, because the way life is, is that there's going to be another day in my life where God's not doing what I think he should, and I need to go back and I need to look at how faithful he's been in the past to give me strength for my current circumstance. Amen? The first thing is this, is you need to remember what God has done. The second thing is, is you need to accept what God is doing. You need to accept what God is doing. Now, let me explain this. So when I say accept what God is doing, I don't mean like just roll over and play dead. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying like when something hard happens to you or something doesn't go your way that you're like, here I am, Lord. You know what I mean? Like you're just like, God, just have your way or like what? I don't mean that. I don't mean that you don't fight for it. I don't mean that you don't work at it. I don't mean that you don't do any of that stuff. I also don't mean that you're one of those uh, You've ever met a Christian person that you know their life is falling apart, but it's like they never want to admit it? 
And every time you see them, they're like, hey, how you doing? And they're like, well, we're just blessed and highly favored. And you're like, well, your face is bleeding and your car exploded. So there's something like, listen, let me just say this. There, there's, there's been a teaching that has permeated the Christian church that if you speak something into existence, like if you go to the doctor and the doctor says you have cancer and you acknowledge that you have cancer, that you have spoken it into existence, that is ridiculous. That is not biblical. <laughs> that, is not, that is not truthful. If I can say something, God's like, well, I was going to heal him, but now he said he had it and I can't do anything, then God's not big enough. Does that make sense? And so that is a massive teaching in the church world sometimes that is just not true. So when I say accept what God is doing, I don't mean either of those things. But I think a lot of us, what ends up happening is, is when God doesn't do what we think he should, we have so much trouble accepting it because we get stuck in a question. The question that we get stuck in is why. Why, God? We want to make sense of it. Why? I've had to walk through why of having a special needs child. My son at 17 is walking through why of having a special needs sister. It, it, it caught me for five years hard that I was trying to make such sense of everything that all I kept asking was why. And what I've learned from pastoring for a very long time is that when people find themselves in situations where God isn't showing up in the way that they think he should, they just ask why. And they'll stay there. I had to fly up to D.C. this past week to basically do an intervention with two other pastors for a friend of mine because something hard happened in his life and the thing that he still wrestles with is why. It was two to three years ago. And he's still living in this place of why, why, why did this happen? Why, why? And all of us understand that. But I want to give you a different question to ask. In this question, I believe that if you can learn to ask it, that it will help you. I want you to stop asking why, and I want you to ask God, what do you want me to do with this? So when God doesn't do what you think he should, stop trying to figure it out. Listen, there are going to be some things on this earth that happen that you will never know the answer to till the other side of eternity. You won't. And so what you can learn to do is say, God, when you're not doing what I think you should, I'm not going to try to figure it out, God, because you, some, you say some things are just the mysteries of the Lord. But God, what I am going to ask you is, what do you want me to do with this? Because I know it didn't surprise you. I know it didn't catch you off guard. And so, God, I know that if I take whatever this is and I place it in your hands, then you can do something magnificent with it. Let me give you an example. So I have another picture of my daughter I want to show you. So this is Riley. Riley, she's, she's mentally all there. So she's a 12-year-old little girl, mentally. Physically, she's disabled. And you can see it in her big wheelchair that we should just put a battering ram on the front of it. Um, you want to destroy your house? Get one of those bad boys. Um, and so our dog lives in fear. <laughs> I mean, like, just, she hear it coming, that dog's like, shoop, throughout. So this is Riley at her first um, modeling show. It wasn't really a modeling show. It was a trick by the store at the mall to get me to buy all the clothes that she tried on. And it worked. Um, it, uh, she got all of it. And so she is into, like, guys, it's hard to explain the level of diva that she is. Like, I'm talking, this is, this is real. She has a 15-minute facial regimen that she does every night. I walked in one night, and she's putting it on, and she, we have to, like, sit her up. She can't sit up on her own, so I would sit her up. She's at her mirror, and I walk in, and I go, baby, what are, you, what are you doing? She goes, well, Dad, I don't want to get wrinkles. I go, you're 12. Give some to your mom. Um, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. 
I live in fear of my wife. Um, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But she, I mean, she is in it, guys. I mean, she has watched, she puts on makeup like a grown woman, like contoured, blended. She's watched so many YouTube tutorials on makeup that when she puts her own makeup on, she talks out loud like she's being filmed. It's weird. We're a little worried about her at that point. She's like, and now I'm applying the blush to my cheeks. And I'm like, we might keep an eye on that one. And she's, I mean, fashion, YouTube, every time, I, that's all she talks about. Fashion. We had to just go buy her a bunch of like um, fabrics and cloths because she's designing dresses on this mannequin that she has at the house. She's in it, loves it. So one day I was getting ready to leave to go out of town. She goes, Daddy, I need you to help me start a blog. I go, listen, baby. I go into immediate dad mode, right? Because in my mind, a 12-year-old little girl, you want to start a blog because you just want to be like these YouTube girls or these Instagram girls or whatever that you follow. You want to be Insta-famous or whatever the case may be. And so I'm like, girl, listen. I go, baby, you don't need all that. You don't, I'm like, like hard dad mode, you know, like you don't need to be Instagram famous. Nobody, you don't need all these in internet followers. I go, baby, they're really not friends anyway. They're not even acquaintances. You don't know, you don't know. I'm just parenting the snot out of her in this moment. She's sitting there looking at me, smiling. You know, like people just kind of keep giving you rope. Go on, fool, keep talking. And, and so I, I'm like saying all this to her. I'm like, baby, you don't need it. It's not that important. Like it doesn't really matter on the internet and how many people know you and all this stuff. And, she goes, well, that's not why I want to start a blog. And I go, all right. I go, well, why do you want to start a blog? She goes, well, you know how I love fashion, right? I go, baby, we all know how you love fashion. She goes, well, I've learned that there's nothing out there to teach other little girls who are special needs how to dress trendy and cool. So I just figured, because I love fashion so much, that I could help start a blog to teach other little girls and even little boys how to dress and be trendy, whether they have walkers or wheelchairs or whatever. And that was the moment that I realized that I loved her more than my son. That was the moment. It was very, it, that, it was the moment where I said, you're going to get it all. Um, and so, so in that moment, what I realized is like, here's a 12-year-old here's, here's little girl that for the rest of her life could ask the question, why? And she started asking, and this is not because of our parenting. I am not this good of a parent. I'm just going to be honest. It is only the Holy Spirit that at 12 years old, she started asking, God, what do you want me to do with this? And so right now, like, this is just the type of person she is at 12 years old. She, she changed her question. She's about to turn 12. Her birthday's at the end of this month. She said, for my 12th birthday, she goes, I don't want people to give me gifts. She says, I, I want to start. So she started this T-shirt campaign that says normal is overrated. And she got a buddy of mine who's a graphic designer. Because you can't say no to her. It's, it's humanly impossible to design all these T-shirts and sweatshirts. And she created this website with me and her mom where she's selling T-shirts where all the proceeds go to a special needs camp so that she can get choked up, pray, pay for a family who can't afford to take their special needs kids to camp. So let me ask you, think, once again, not my parenting. Um, so let me ask you this question. Here's a 12-year-old little girl that has changed her question. What would it look like for you to do that? And what if the thing that you think is the greatest disability you have is actually the thing that the Lord wants to use the most in your life? Guys, I'm telling you, I, I, I joked about my wife and I having our son before we were married, and we did. But one of the greatest things that my wife and I get to do now and the thing that we love doing is sitting with couples who get pregnant out of wedlock and loving them and walking with them through it. What if the greatest, listen, please hear me on this. What if the greatest shame that you have, what if that greatest guilt that you have 
is the thing that if the Lord is saying, just give that to me. If you give me this, I will use it not only in your life, but I will use it in the life of so many other people. And what I've seen is people that battle addictions, people that have had affairs, people that have walked through pain and suffering. There is, some, there is, there is nothing that you cannot put in the hands of the Lord that he cannot do something with. There's nothing. And I'm living proof of it. And just so what is it? What would it look like for you if today you went home, you made a list, and then that thing that you, and some of you know it, and this is what I love about because I, I do the same thing. Like we go to Passion City Church, and so when our pastor preaches now and he says something, I'm like, oh, he's speaking to me. Or I know exactly what he's talking about. What would it look like for you, that, that question, what would it look like for you to say, God, what do you want me to do with this? You know, I, this is just a side note that has nothing to really do, but what I've seen so many times is people disqualify themselves by, by being used by God when God never disqualified you. So what is that thing for you? The third and final thing you have to do is this. So you need to remember, you need to accept what God is doing, and you need to trust what God will do. Now, I know even as I say that, that's hard. I used to remember like... I remember when I wasn't in the church world and I would sit in services or whatever and I would hear the pastor say, you just need to trust God. And I'd be like, yeah, well, that's real easy because you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know the hardship I have. You don't know what it's like. I, I know that feeling. And even when you have Jesus, can we just be honest? It's scary trusting Jesus at times, isn't it? Like it's scary in those moments. It's hard. My daughter, she's getting ready to have a massive back surgery. It'll be a four-month recovery. I trust Jesus, but I'm still scared. I trust Jesus, but I'm still freaking out about it a little bit. And the reason I think that we have trouble trusting Jesus at times is because what we end up doing is we end up standing more on our emotions than we do on the Word of God. Have you ever had one of those days or one of those moments where like something happens and your emotions get out of control and you just ride that train crashing into the shore? You know what I mean? You're just, you're, you're in, I just call it the death spiral. You're just like, everything's falling apart and I'm going to be homeless and I'm going to have a hook for a hand. And you're just like going down, I mean like just, you're just going down that road. We do it all the time. We do it and all of a sudden what we end up doing is something happens or God doesn't do what we think he should. And instead of standing on the word of God, we stand on our emotions. The problem with that is, is emotions are fickle. They change. So how do you and I make decisions to stand on something that is not secured, like our emotions? Listen, the perfect example that emotions are fickle and they change is, have you ever dated somebody that you were like super in love with and you did that dumb thing you do when you were kids and you, like, you hang up, no, you hang up, I don't want to hang up. Like, and you do that forever and you love that person, you're going to get married to that person and then you see them 30 years later, you didn't end up marrying them, they're at Walmart buying underwear and tires at the same time and you're like, dear God, thank you so much that I did not stand on my, like, it's emotions, they change. But what we end up doing as people is that when God doesn't do what we think he should do, we don't stand on his word. We stand on our emotions. And we just ride that wave. And so let me tell you what I think we should do. One of the things that I started doing, this was 12 years ago. It's in my wallet, actually. So in my wallet, I carry this journal, and I have it with scriptures in it. The reason I do this is because I know that there are going to be days where my emotion, I'm really good at telling God how big my problems are. And I'm not real great at telling my problems how big God is. 
I'm really good at going to God and being like, God, it's going to fall apart. She's got to have back surgery. God, I'm freaking out. God, I don't know what to do. And, God, and I, sometimes I just feel like God's like, what am I, chopped liver? Like, like, I'm the God of the universe. I spoke it into existence. When I said, let there be light, light came out of my mouth going 196,000 miles per second. What problem do you have that's bigger than that that I can't get involved in? And so what I realized is, is I was just letting my emotions get the best of me. I was letting my fears get the best of me. So I went to a theological tool on the internet called Google. And I typed into Google, scriptures for suffering, scriptures for hardships, scriptures for trials. And I wrote them down. And I carry them with me. I've gone through so many of these journals. And what I will do is when my emotions get out of whack, which they will, just like yours will, I don't just go crazy. Now, I've trained myself to pull these scriptures out and start reading them. And I'll read them out loud to myself. I'll read them uh, like Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because there are going to be times where I need to remember the word in those moments because my emotions seem too big. So what would it look like for you to do that today? What would it look like for you to go home and for you to write down some scriptures so that you can remember? Listen, sometimes you got to learn to preach to yourself a little bit. Sometimes you got to remember that when all hell breaks loose on earth, that God is still bigger and Jesus is still greater than anything that you could face. And you've got to remind yourself of that. And listen, guys, we all know this. Sundays isn't enough. And Pastor Christian, as good as he is as a communicator, as as authentic of a guy as he is as a communicator, listen, there are going to be days where you are going to have some dark nights of the soul, and what you need to do is learn to preach to yourself. And you need to learn to encourage yourself in the word of the Lord. And I know that it's hard at times. But we've got to put some disciplines in our life that when God doesn't do what we think he should, that, man, that we know how to respond to it. Because like I've said before, like I've seen it totally push people away. But I've also seen it really push people deeper into Jesus. One of the things that was really cool for us in all of this and all of us moving, my son uh, is very intellectual, not like me. I don't know where he gets it either. Um, and he had a really hard time with God, the concept of God and Jesus and all this stuff. And, you know, as a, pa as a pastor, when your son's like, I don't even know if I believe in God, you're like, well, I failed. And you just want to leave. Like, and, and so we move up to Atlanta and we start going to this church. And, I, you know, my, my greatest fear was for him. And we were standing in worship. Three, this was three Sundays ago. My wife and I were standing in worship. And I, I kind of see him out of the corner of my eye. And he's, he's singing the words to the worship song, which he never does. He just kind of always stands there like he's just about to be tased. And, um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you're not, nobody's going to hurt you here. You know that, right? Um, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of worship, he just lifts his hands. I, I mean... You know, like some guys, like when they cry, it like looks cool. You know, like Hugh Jackman, when Hugh Jackman cries, like he looks cool. When I cry, it's like that dude needs help. Like, and I just, I just had to turn my head. I was like, oh my God, you know, like I mean, like just had to walk off. And it was one of these moments, listen, it was one of these moments where I felt like the Lord said, have you not learned to trust me yet? I got you. And I love your children more than you do. And so I went back and I wrote it down. Some of you, you need to do that today. You need to remember. Some of you, you need to change your question. 
because there is something in your life that I promise you, it may be the thing that you are the greatest fear about or shame about or whatever. God wants to use it. And there's some of you in here that you need to go write some scriptures down because when Monday comes and Tuesday and that, all that stuff happens, you're going to need to learn to preach to yourself and encourage yourself in the word. And for some of you, listen, that's steps two, three, and four. Because for some of you in here, the first thing you need to do is you need to accept, you need to commit or recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Listen, I've lived on both sides of the fence. And what I can tell you is that a life apart from Jesus does not compare. My daughter, she spent four months in intensive care. And if you've ever been to a, a NICU, um, they're like little cubbies. So you see all the families coming in and coming out. And her, I mean, her cubby, it was just like scriptures are like taped on the walls. There's like Hillsong playing at all times. I put so much anointing oil on her head. It looked like she had a jerry curl for like the first like five years of her, like four months of her life. The nurses would walk in. They're like, God, what's that smell? I'm like, that's frankincense and myrrh. Like, that's what I was like, just, you know, rubbing it on her and stuff. But I would see all these other, sadly, that's true. Um, that's not a made up story. That's a real one. And, um, and so I would see these other families come in. And you knew they had no relationship with Jesus. You could just tell the brokenness in them. And I remember looking at my wife saying, I don't know how anybody gets through anything like this without Jesus. I don't get it. And maybe some of you are in here, and, and you're kind of in that place. And the first step for you is you need to commit or recommit your life to Christ. And what I'm telling you is, please hear me on this. There is nothing that you have done that will disqualify you from the love of Jesus Christ nothing like I said we disqualify ourselves at times nothing that you will ever do will disqualify you from the love of Jesus so what I want to do is I just want to give you a chance to respond to it it's good to come into church and laugh and have a good time but at the end of the day here's what it always comes down to what do you do with Jesus who is he and so here's what I'm, I'm asking you to close your eyes and bow your heads every time I get to preach I, I explain what Jesus did for us so the Bible is clear that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us. That means that every person who has ever walked on this earth apart from Jesus, we all need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. And because of our sin, which all of us have, the Bible tells us that we were eternally separated from God. Now, we would know that as hell. Now, I don't know if hell is demons with pitchforks and pointy tails. But what I do know is that it is an eternity separated from God. Whatever that looks like, that's hell. And so Jesus, when Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins, listen, Jesus didn't have to come to this earth because, because we were so bad. Jesus came to this earth because of God's great love for us. Like God sent his son because he loves you so much, not because you're so wicked. And I think sometimes we, we have the narrative wrong. And the Bible tells us that when we can, listen, this is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God who was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for you. In that moment, the Bible says that you are saved. You are brought into right standing with God. You are brought into relationship with Jesus. You are reconciled. The Bible also tells us that in that moment, your sins are separated from you as far away as the east is from the west. One verse says that God will remember them no more. Now, here's the crazy thing. God doesn't forget, but he chooses not to remember. So when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, 
that in that moment, you were brought into a relationship with him. And then John 10, 10, if that's not enough, Jesus says that I came so that they may have life and a life more abundant. And please hear me on this. An abundant life does not look like walking through trials and suffering and hardships by yourself. You have a savior that came to walk with you through all that. So if you're in here and you would say, Josh, I just need to commit or recommit my life. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna count to three and I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand and that's it. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything else. If you need to commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm gonna count to three. I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three, raise it. Amen, amen, amen. God, you see every hand in this room. God, we thank you that you are a good God. God, we thank you that you love us. God, we thank you that in the most broken moments of our life, Lord, that you're with us. Thank you, God, that you can take our trials and our hardships and you can use them. God, thank you that our, that our greatest shame sometimes, Lord God, in your hands all the time is, your, is the greatest asset that you can use in us. Everyone, I'm gonna say a prayer. I just want everybody to repeat this out loud after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Right now I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are the son of God, that you were crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for me. Save me, Jesus, and be the Lord of my life. Amen. Hey guys, can we put our hands together for everybody that just committed and recommitted their lives to Jesus? Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Valley Rise Church. We hope you enjoy today's message and we'll see you soon.